You're listening to a Fair Mormon production. Hello and welcome to Fair Mormon's Front Page News Review, where we provide context and analysis of the past week's media coverage of Mormons and the LDS Church. I'm your host, Nick Galetti, and with me via the internet is manager of the Fair Mormon Front Page News Service, Cassandra Hedelius. We hope this will be an edifying and entertaining experience. What we present is not to be understood as being the official position of Fair Mormon or the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. We speak for ourselves and sometimes not even them. We've got five stories to get to this week. Let's, let's start off. Well, two of, two of them are kind of the same story in a way, right? Right. There's different takes on the same story. Yeah. Um, so it's the big piece of news for the last few, few days. It's been covered in, it seems like, every single news publication on, on the planet, or on the internet at least, same thing, um, which is that the Utah legislature has passed the bill, the bill, um, <laughs> the law that was backed by the church in its big rare press conference to both give non-discrimination protection to LGBT people in Utah and to protect religious liberty. And so I think it passed the Utah Senate last week and all this news coverage came from it passing the Utah House. The governor has already said he's going to sign it. It's basically a a done deal. Um, And so all the coverage, a lot of it was um, pretty straightforward, but still very interesting. I'm just giving the basic contours of the law. I'm I'm biased because I'm I'm a lawyer, and a lot of journalism about law is dreadful. I'm just dreadful I'm just in saying. what way? <laughs> because law is hard to understand, and journalists often get it wrong because journalists are not lawyers. So, just okay. just saying, if you ever see coverage of a law that seems complicated, it is. Um, but <laughs> a, a lot of the coverage was pretty good. There was a lot of back and forth about. You know, what What will this law do? The proverbial baker who doesn't want to bake a cake for a gay wedding, will it protect that baker or not? Um, and I've seen articles say one way and some articles say the other way. Um, I actually don't know. I haven't read the text of the bill yet, and I have a that's going to get litigated, <laughs> um, meaning people are going to sue over it. So, oh, yeah, it's not a done you know, deal. Some of, some of the nitty-gritty details still remain to be seen. Um, but it's a great step forward, and I think that this is really vindicating what church leaders had in mind when they um, put out that press conference, is that they, um, it was basically saying, hey world, or at least hey United States, you should all pass laws like this. This is a good compromise. It will protect important rights on both sides. It will let us come together with goodwill. Um, and that really is what's happening. A lot of the coverage is saying, yes, this is a good compromise. And for at least a lot of more conservative-ish states, um, this law can be a model for them. So maybe it'll be taken up in other states, too. Yeah, well, um, then there's this Daily Beast article that seems yes. to disagree okay. with that. <laughs> so I put that in for kind of the other side of it. A lot of the straight news coverage just says it's a compromise. A lot of people are happy. The church is happy. The Human Rights Council is happy. Um, and then here in the Daily Beast, we have an LGBT activist who is just spitting bullets about it. I'm not going to go into a ton of detail. You can read it if you want to. His objections aren't really surprising or novel. He's just saying that um, the rights of LGBT people to 
um, to marry, to be able to move about in society and in commerce with no friction whatsoever should trump any religious conscience rights. And, of course, this bill has nothing to do with marriage. Gay marriage is already legal in Utah because the federal judge said so. Right. So his his objections are a little strange because of that, but basically he's just staking out the ground. Um, some people are still going to do that. A lot of people are still going to do that. Yeah. Let's, yeah. Well, in this Let's case, realistic. even his title kind of gave away the fact that he just, there's there's no way to win because in this case he says, a great Utah compromise on LGBT equality, there's no such thing. So in other words, there's no way. There's, if there's any element of compromise or working together on this, he doesn't even think that it, it could be possible. It's a unicorn. Yeah, and it's, it's really, it comes down to worldview, to premises. If you take the premise that equality is an absolute and that it, by necessity, includes such things as being able to engage in commerce no matter what, full stop, and to be able to marry and have every single identical status or indicia of legitimacy in society, then yeah, there's no compromise if that's your premise. Yeah. So that's basically what he's illuminating for us here. And, and it's good to know about his worldview and keep that in mind. But I am hopeful after this bill passed that it is a really great step forward and hopefully other states will follow suit. Well, this was an opinion piece. It's, it's again, almost like we want equality, but we want a better version of equality than what we've had in the past or what we've been offered here. It's, it's very um, <laughs> manipulated use of the word equality. Well, or just a good lesson in how a word that seems straightforward, like equality, can mean very different things to, very, exactly. to, to different exactly. people. So anyway, there's another article from uh, MSNBC that actually kind of is a little more, would you call it balanced in this case? Yeah. Um, so um, I just included that as a good engine of the more the straight news coverage, yeah. um, even though MSNBC is probably the, um, the straightforward news source that is going to be um, very, uh, very much on the pro-LGBT right side of things and very much against the religious right side of things. But mm -hmm. even there, it's just a pretty straightforward reported piece that the law passed. Um, some people think it's a great compromise and step forward. Some gay rights groups um, support it. And there you go. There you go. All right. Moving on. Um, we have to touch back on briefly, hopefully, but we'll touch back on a follow-up to the story of uh, John DeLynn, who, uh, as we previously reported, had been excommunicated for apostasy. He is now seeking an appeal on his excommunication. Is it a formal appeal or is it more just kind of a public open letter that he's putting out there? Do you know? It is a formal appeal, so far as I can tell. Um, when you are excommunicated, you have the right to submit an appeal to the First Presidency, and they can then overturn the excommunication or let it stand. Um, and recently, this happened in the case of Kate Kelly last year. She was excommunicated. She submitted an appeal. The First Presidency let it stand. Um, and so I would, would imagine that the First Presidency will read this, will take some time uh, deliberating and deciding, and we'll probably know within, I don't know, it might be a few months. I think it was a few months for Kate Kelly. Um, what's interesting about this to me um, is the news angle. When 
when it was first announced that Dylan was going to be subject to excommunication proceedings, it was big. You know, I saw right. when the first tweet went out on Twitter from Lori of the New oh, York trended Times. on Facebook. Caught on like wildfire from there. Every single pub- publication covered it. And then you had the actual excommunication trial, big coverage again. Then you had the excommunication decision, big coverage. With this, with this appeal now, there still is a lot of coverage. Um, Peggy Stack in the Salt Lake Tribune covered it, obviously. It's going to be big in Utah media. And Peggy Stack's pieces generally get syndicated elsewhere. Um, it also got put in Reuters, which is a, news, a wire service, so that a lot of local publications will reprint what Reuters has written. But I haven't seen it turning up in the local publications. Um, I'm sure there, there's been a few but it just isn't getting nearly the saturation of coverage right. that past Dillon excommunication stories have gotten. So that's interesting to me just to keep an eye on. You know, when we have stories like this of a really prominent member and discipline and, you know, what does the world care about? Or <laughs> what do the newspapers think the world is going to care about so that they run it in their papers? When still a Mormon, it seems like they care a great deal more than when they're an excommunicated Mormon trying to fight that. Yeah. Just a worthwhile observation, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And in this particular case, one of the things that we want to also kind of wrap our heads around is that in as everything that John seems to do has an element of putting out a public narrative and, and thread of thought. And in this particular case, it seems like he's putting out multiple things kind of a shotgun approach to see maybe if he hits something so there's a lot of different reasons that he gives for going forward with this even though i think at one point even in his uh, post excommunication interview on radio west he alluded to the fact that he wasn't going to appeal but somehow he's either changed his mind been convinced of it or i don't know but uh, at this point he's kind of uh picked the scab again in some respects and uh, was looking to, I don't know, what, what happens if he comes back? You know, if they do show that uh, there was something wrong with the procedure. I mean, does he have his membership reinstated in the meantime? Or do we even know how that goes? The first presidency, if they find his appeal persuasive, can overturn his excommunication. Um, what will very immediately happen? if that does happen is I will eat my shoe because I think it's incredibly <laughs> unlikely. I'll just go ahead and put that out Well, there. you might want to wash it first. Maybe. Febreze. <laughs> Maybe, okay. or you want to punish yourself. <laughs> Febreze. I'll Febreze it. There you um, go. But, so I think that this appeal, it, I would imagine that um, Dylan sees it as, as in his interest to appeal because it got coverage. It got his story, um, his... I mean, he's an activist. It got his points out there in the world, in the church, and goodness knows on Facebook again. Yeah. Um, and so there's really no downside for him to make this appeal, put out his version of events. Um, I also think it's worth noting um, his appeal in the brief. Um, like you said, they have a lot of arguments. One of them is he is complaining that the, pro- the procedure that was used by his church leaders for his excommunication, he said that they were illegitimate because on the high council, half of them are supposed to um, present the case against him and half of them were supposed to speak up for him and they didn't. They stayed silent. Well, that is 
a misunderstanding or a misrepresentation of how it's supposed to go. He's right that there's a half and half setup, but half is supposed to present the case against him. The other half is merely supposed to um, be listening with the intent of making sure that everything is fair, that there's not, you know, improper proper evidence, improper witnesses, that it's not just, you know, a whole bunch of lies and perfidy being slung against an unpopular member. They're just well, they're not supposed attorneys. to make sure. They're, it's not like a set of right, defense right. and prosecution not attorneys. attorneys. Yeah. They're not there to present the case in his favor. They're only there to make sure that it's not just a travesty of justice, that it's a straightforward, here's the evidence against him, let's consider it. Moving on. All right. We have uh, something that is not really a news piece per se, even though it comes from a news organization, the Salt Lake Tribune, and a news writer, Peggy Stack. But she's got an article called The New Mormon Mission, How to Teach Members the Messy Part of LDS History Theology. Yes. So I guess when she calls this a new Mormon mission... That almost seems almost like an official church thing, but that's that's not what exactly is going on here, right? Well, no, in a way it is an official church thing because it has a quote from, let's see, Eric Hawkins from Church Public Affairs that these gospel topics essays are going to be integrated into church curriculum. So, yeah, there's you, so you it, could call that It's official a mission, church a stuff, task. but okay, a task. Got it. Yes. A we'll project. go with that. <laughs> And I mean, it's a this is a great piece. Um, I would definitely recommend that it be read. There are a lot of um, great and faithful LDS scholars who quoted in here. You know, Richard Bushman, who wrote Rough Stone Rolling, Paul Reeve, who wrote um, a book that recently came out about the history of the church and race, which I haven't read yet, but have heard is absolutely fascinating and definitely worth reading for anybody who's interested in that. Um, And so overall, a really good, informative, interesting piece, but just a couple of issues that I wanted to call out. First of all, she talks about the essay on race and the priesthood, and she talks about the history that we know about with Brigham Young. Um, He was influenced by the common racial beliefs of his time. That's absolutely true. By today's standards, Brigham Young um, was not progressive on racial issues. He was racist in the manner of his time. Um, But then she says, in other words, the ban, meaning the priesthood ban, stemmed more from earthly racism than heavenly revelation. And that is not a conclusion that I think they supports. The essay says simply that we don't know. We don't have the evidence to conclude one way or another. And so you can decide what the probabilities are, but that's still bringing your judgment to it. And unless you are a crack historian, um, your judgment isn't worth a great deal. Because we don't know. We don't have evidence. Well, and, and you know, we look at this and we say the, that we're here to teach the members the messy part of LDS history and theology. That's that's a kind of a weird assumption too because messy. I'm not sure that messy because messy makes it sound like there was dirty, evil, nasty going, and that's not mm-hmm. that's not exactly the case. There's just stuff that we haven't haven't been able to figure out or 
wrap our heads around yet. And so it's just the process of learning. It is complex. Right. So messy makes it sound more like chaos than just we haven't understood it yet. You know, I've given this some thought. The church comes out of a, a very strong tradition of honoring the past. And that includes, um, you know, I have a raft of books that I inherited from my grandparents that were written by historians from the late 1800s, early 1900s. The culture of, you know, even scholarly historians at that time was to write history very differently than we write it today. Exactly. And to go much more toward um, the positive, the kind of the just-so story, wrapping it up neatly. Um, telling a narrative that reflects well on these great figures. I mean, it's not just in the church, but like, you know, the founding fathers or other historical figures. And I don't think it says anything bad about us that it's taken a while for, um, you know, us as a culture, as a church, as members to snap out of that a little bit because that's, you know, that's what informed our childhoods. That's what's been built on. Well, we consume information differently now. I mean, we, we, we say right. the internet has exposed us to new things, but really I think it's just we've, as a people, consume information differently than we used to. Well, and now that his, history has um, developed as a discipline so that it is more painstaking, I guess you could say, and more interested in the nitty-gritty, the whole complex picture instead of just picking out the uh, the more easy narrative, um, that's great. I think it's fantastic. I love reading history that is um, written to be more complex and more complete like that. But, I mean, this article makes the point that these essays, their rollout didn't include, you know, fireworks and a big banner and making sure that every single member of the church knows about them. Because some members, you know, not everybody has a college degree, has an interest in history, has any interest in considering these issues. And, you know, that's it's okay to live that way. Yeah. <laughs> I think those of us who are interested in scholarly issues um, sometimes think that everybody should share our preoccupations, but they don't, and that's okay. So I think that the rollout was all right. That more and more people will find about find out about these things if and when they do develop an interest, and you know the church gradually integrating it into the curriculum. That's great. I mean, I I have every expectation that within a few decades, or I think I'm going along with what Richard Bushman said in this article here, that within a few decades, all of these things that we now now fall under this banner of quote unquote messy will just be second nature. Right, and I think. The fact that, that she does call it a mission, one of the things that brings to my mind is I served in the South, where race issues were something that was part of our everyday tracting effort. And so, mm-hmm. as a missionary, it would have been great to have something official to show people, even as in, in tract form, about this, this topic that was official, that I didn't have to mm-hmm. come up with something, I didn't have to craft some angle or whatever you want to call it just to but but it was official and so i think again like you've just said it may appear to be messy but there's so much that these things actually clear up and make things so much easier to digest we just need to take the time to digest them and do so prayerfully so yep i absolutely agree all right last story 
and uh, this is not really a critical thing per se. Um, it's something that involves members of the church a little bit, but almost indirectly. Uh, more, more the uh, what would you call it? The charitable effort. The the uh, <laughs> the the different well, critical things from the well. Go ahead. Critical from his from whose point of view? Um, what's going on here? It's an article about an ongoing legal battle in Nevada, where the church owns a cattle ranch. Cattle ranches require water to grow the grass and feed the cows. Um, meanwhile, the nearby city of Las Vegas and really the entire western United States is suffering under a drought, having a difficult time finding the water to um, to feed their cities and to make it so that when you build a house in suburban Las Vegas, you can turn on the tap and have water come out. Um, it's, and I grew up in Colorado and I've been hearing about all of this all my life. It is not a done deal that there's going to be water for everybody who wants to live in a given area. And so the church is involved as a party in this legal action, um, trying to defend their ability to have the water that they need for their ranch and also for other ranches in the area. Um, You know, I haven't read through all of the legal pleadings or anything like that. Um, It sounds like the church is kind of loosely lining up with other local ranchers and some environmental groups and then cities and um, more of the the consumer type groups are lining up on the other side saying, hey, people want to build houses here and live here. Or people who do already live here uh, want to know that they'll continue to have water here. So it's just something that I think will come up in the news again. I'll be surprised if it doesn't. It's going to be a long, long legal action as legal actions tend to be. Um, And just something to keep an eye on. Well, in this particular case, the article states that the Nevada's largest commercial water users, labor unions, and the developer of a 22,500-acre mini-city west of Las Vegas argue that they need this this water. That's a lot of people. And that the church's okay. ranch, some Indian tribes, and these environmental groups are fighting against what, let's be honest, is going to be a huge commercial interest, not just for the state, but for these these entities, uh, and so this, it's scary in a lot of ways mm-hmm. because you know you can't just water is water. You you don't just poof it out. You know it's got to come from somewhere, and so this is this is a pretty serious thing. Uh, the church's ranch has seventeen hundred uh, head of cattle that need the water, and that the church uses that cattle to feed people that are in need, and so. There's uh, there are some very real implications here. It's not exactly critical of the church um, in the sense of a doctrine or things like that, but it certainly is a a difficult issue. Right. There's no good obvious answer that is you know good for everybody or yeah. obviously right. Pray for rain. There you go. That should that should be the message. Let's pray for rain and uh, see what happens. <laughs> Well, a couple other pieces of news that I want to share that are unrelated to national news, uh, more fair Mormon related. Our Facebook page hit 3,000 likes this last week. Which is awesome. Maybe today. I don't even know. Uh, But it was the last day or two, which is awesome. Laura Hales has been doing awesome work and promoting stuff. I also want to uh, make the announcement, the official announcement, that fair Mormon's front page news review podcast which you are listening to now 
can now be subscribed to in iTunes as its own oh, wonderful. show. So if in case this is the only thing that you like that we do for Mormon. <laughs> you, which it shouldn't be because we have be. lots of good stuff. But, uh, but if. But if you want to manage uh, how you listen to the different shows from Fair Mormon, we actually had someone get on our main Fair Mormon uh, podcast and leave a review that says, I want to be able to listen to all of our Articles of Faith show or all of our Rise Up shows one after the other. And you can't do that in the main one because there's all these other shows that kind of come in between. So if you want to, you can subscribe to the Fair Mormon front page news review podcast as its own subscription in iTunes. So there you go. Awesome. Yeah. Anyway, thank you guys for listening. Thank you, Cassandra, for all your hard work and, and suffering through reading article after article after article to bring <laughs> us the good stuff on the Fair I've Mormon front page. I've never suffered by reading, oh. but you're welcome. Really? I'm sure you've had one or two articles that have been kind of painful. No, I like to learn, even if it's bad news. <laughs> okay, good. Well, anyway, please sign up for the Fair Mormon front page news service at fairmormon.org and continue to listen to us. Hopefully you subscribe to us now on iTunes. Again, search the Fair Mormon front page news review show and you'll find us. So thanks for tuning in. This has been a Fair Moment production.